Thanks for joining us for our series on the gospel and its ramifications for church life. These messages work through the heart of the gospel within the overall story of God and then deal with several outcomes of this good news in Jesus. How he creates a new people for God by his spirit, defines and upholds their identity through baptism and communion, and sends them as ministers of reconciliation to the world as foretastes of God's coming kingdom. Cornerstone exists to declare and demonstrate Christ in all of life so as to make people complete in him. So glad to be together today, uh, worshiping our Lord in peace, unity, um, sorrowful yet rejoicing. Thank you for the love that you show both to Christ and to one another. Um, God continues to be faithful to us um, when we are not faithful, and we are grateful for uh, all that he is doing in our midst. Um, as we get started this morning, I, I want to make an announcement to our members. Uh, a few months ago, an opportunity um, was brought to us to purchase a piece of property actually here at McComas Way. Uh, it's an adjacent property. It's actually the one that you're hearing right now behind us. I'm not, I'm not kidding. You can uh, give us that slide, Beth. That'd be great. So this is, we're in the, if you look at that L shape from the cornerstone spot on the left there, we're in that back right spot right now. So the available spot is all the way back here for us. Um, this came available to us a few months ago. And the truth is that when we first got it, we were ready to get rid of the email and not talk about it at all because we weren't looking for this. We weren't pursuing it at all. We weren't looking to try to find another place to, to meet or put more stuff together or anything like that. Uh, However, in the course of time, as we discussed it as elders and we thought it through, we started asking wise counsel and prayed about it. And most importantly, we tried to measure it up against what the purpose of what we're doing here was, to make all men perfect in Christ Jesus as a church. And through the course of events and, and talking and looking at financial inquiries and all these different things, we want to bring it to you to consider purchasing this property. Um, so... After a few months of research, again, discussions, financial inquiries, and all the different things, and trying to make sure we pray wisely about discerning our own hearts in this, we think this is a wonderful opportunity. And so, that being said, this afternoon, we'll post on uh, the information page on the members group on Realm some information about this very spot right here. Um, we'd also invite you, everyone, to come. Um, but it'll be a members meeting, so members will speak. But everyone may come to a presentation next Sunday night. Next Sunday night, that's November 24th at 6 p.m. We want to have an opportunity for us to give you and explain further details. Uh, you also hear our hearts as elders and why we would pursue something like this. Uh, and also allow us as a body, as a family, to kind of talk about it so that we can get all the questions out there, and eventually so that we can actually start making decisions towards our December member meeting as we move forward. So again, that's November 24th, 6 p.m. Uh, please come and be involved and get a good idea of what's going on, ask questions, um, and we're excited about giving this as an opportunity um, because we do believe in the end that it will serve us to do what we are to do as a church. So we'd ask you to pray for wisdom on our own parts and for everyone because we remember that our kingdom is not bound up in this complex. It doesn't matter how much property we own at all. Our kingdom is, in one sense, the kingdom of heaven, the one who owns the entire world. We are his. And so we recognize that even this is a, a small piece that we might consider for our own property to buy and to use for that kingdom, 
we recognize that his purposes are far greater than ours. So we're excited about following him and making sure that we trust him. So join us in prayer in that way as we pray towards the future of what God would have for us. So with all that out there said, let's turn and take a look here at uh, Romans 12. We'll look at verses 3 through 5. Dan read verse 1 through 5. We're going to do this together. We're going to read our passage, and then for a moment, I'd like you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to pray together. So I want you to pray for the other person, that person to pray for you, that our own hearts would be humble in receiving the word today, and that we trust him, and that he'd make us more like Jesus Christ. So let's go ahead and read, uh, and then I'll give further instructions. Verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Let's take a moment then, turn to your person next to you. Here's a simple prayer request. Pray that we might find grace to humble ourselves before the word and be changed by his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are our creator, savior, and king. You've given us ears to hear, so we ask that you would let us hear today. Would you give us grace to humble ourselves before you, to obey your commands, to rejoice in the gifts that you have given. We've been bought by the blood of Christ, and we have been adopted into your family. And for this, we say thank you. Help us as we learn to dwell with one another in unity and mutual submission so that by your Holy Spirit's power, we can accomplish the tasks that you have given to us to do. You are faithful, even when we are not, and we trust you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Two weeks ago, we started a topical series called The Gospel and Its Ramifications for the Church, and we've gotten through the first two sermons, and we started to show um, that the salvation that we have experienced in Christ is not merely, this regeneration is not merely something that's personal alone, but rather that affects us as a group of people that connects us to other Christians, a body. We began with understanding the gospel and how a person ought to relate to God in repentance and faith. And then last week, we worked through what the Bible says is the next step of discipleship, Christian baptism. And today, we'll take another step forward by talking about church membership. It's important that we continue to trace our lines all the way back again and again to the gospel and remember that all of these things are connected so that we didn't think of any of these things as tertiary, unimportant at all. So before we go to church membership, let's see if we can keep in context together. When a person believes in the gospel and trusts Christ and loves them and they're saved from the wrath of God, they are given a new heart, right? They are made alive. They are now what we call regenerated. Uh, true regeneration changes a person's identity and it aligns their allegiance and gives them affections for Christ and his people. Now, we know that the body is, is certainly not perfect. We look around and we know that. Um, but we trust that he is working in it. And it may mean that everyone around us is in some place as they are continuing to trust Christ that's different in place of maturity than another. And that's okay. And we all understand we have different personalities. But we must take a moment to remember that this is his blood-bought church, that he gave his life for us. And that makes us all a little bit humbler to understand that he gave his life for us 
And so that we must also then enjoy this fellowship as brothers and sisters before the cross. Our identity is changed, not to some sort of elitism or partiality, but that which is including of those who trust Jesus Christ. This change in identity and new allegiance then leads us to true Christian baptism. And true Christian baptism, as we talked about last week, is an acknowledgement uh, and a public proclamation of what has really happened in real life uh, in, th- in, th- in and through regeneration and union with Christ. But as we saw last week, it also shows a formal commitment, an outward one, a display for the world to see that this person is saying, I am in Christ and I am in his body. It's not just lip service, saying that sometimes, yeah, I- I'll do this commitment over here. It is actually a, an outward action committing in this ceremony to Christ and his church. So baptism is a formal identification with the body of Christ. Baptism is like the front door, the entrance into the church, and in being a part of the whole body of Christ. We would call this, as Caleb just prayed a little earlier ago, we would call this universal church membership. Like when you are born again, you are actually part of a group that is made up of all the believers across the whole globe And all the people who have gone before us in generations who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, you and I then, if we are believers, are part of the universal church. Again, we would call that universal church membership. But this brings up kind of a funny consideration. Why do we use the term membership? I mean, membership has a certain connotation to it in our own context, right? Um, When I think of a membership... I usually think of like dues and some sort of, uh, you know, annual requirement to make sure I can continue my membership, maybe some sort of exclusive club that other people are trying to get into and some club they're trying to keep out. Uh, I can remember a friend of mine uh, years ago, her dad belonged to a, a private golf course that was very exclusive, members only. I mean, so much like it was just, it was a beautiful course, kind of hidden away from the street, couldn't see it keep people away, kind of keep the riffraff like me out of the cart paths, that kind of stuff. Um, it was thousands of dollars just to get into the club. And then you paid annual fees that were thousands of dollars as well. And then you still paid to play golf and to eat at the restaurant. I mean, this was the type of place that if you went into the restroom, like there was a dude hanging out there with like cologne and a towel and like stuff. And I'm like, I just want to go to the bathroom, you know, like, and I felt like I had to tip him afterwards because he was giving all his time to standing there in the bathroom. Weird. But my point here is that it's this exclusive club that only members can be a part of. And so we're like, oh, membership. Okay. We, we, we think about it maybe in those terms. Or we have other ways to think about it. Perhaps someone, even this room here, may be part of the YMCA. They own, have a YMCA membership. It's where we go and we, um, we play and we work out and we have our kids maybe in some, some sports leagues, um, something like that. Some of you may remember Columbia House CD Club or BMG CD Buying Club, where you would become a member of a CD buying, uh, for the youth in here, that's compact disc, a CD buying club. You had to pay your dues and you would get all these CDs, usually like two that you actually wanted, but you had a litany of fine print that kept you basically shackled to this club forever. And of course, all your money. What a membership. Um, So it's something like that. Or some of you here may be part of a, a Costco membership or BJ's or a Sam's Club membership 
where we can all really declare our Americanness by buying way too much food in the name of being economical. I mean, we, we think about that perhaps as membership. There are other clubs. Lions Club, uh, you've got like the, the Freemasons, some secret, some public, all different types, uh, making sure that they understand that membership matters. Now, I recently have joined a very exclusive club. I brought my $20 bill and bought my membership at the Southeastern Beekeepers Guild. Um, yeah, that's right. Not just part of a club, it's a guild. You should feel excluded. Um, the point being, when we think about membership, is this what we're talking about? Are we talking about all those connotations that we dream up when we consider membership in all these other clubs? Is joining the church like joining the YMCA? Or is joining the church like joining Costco membership? Uh, you're welcome to look here as we consider this, but if it isn't, if it isn't that type of membership, why would we use this term? What I want to do today is kind of take us through and there we have varying people in, in the crowd even today, even in the first service. And we recognize not everyone is members here at Cornerstone Bible Church. But we want to invite you to understand what the Bible actually says about membership. Not with any sort of guilt or making you feel as though if you don't join up, you're out. Nothing like that whatsoever. But we do want to take a look at the Bible and see what it actually says to us about this. So this is where we will begin. Instead of just taking something and put membership on top of the church and say it's supposed to act like these other entities, let's start with where it starts. I'm going to read a bunch of different passages, and you're going to hear a couple words come up over and over again. Body, member, head, part, joint. All these different things referring to the body of Christ. Let me start with Ephesians 4, verse 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the body, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We have body, head, every joint, or each part. Talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, you don't have to go there, but this is the passage you know is the one that's like, Every member has a different function within the body. Why does the ear say to the toe, I wish I was a toe, or, or something like that? But at the beginning here, it sets it off really nicely. Let me just read a few verses for you. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. There it is again. So we have this body or members or one body, many members language. And then let's go back to Romans 12, 3 through 5, which we read when we first started. For by thy grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. The Bible is speaking about Christians as members of the body of Christ. And so this is why we call it membership. It's not because everyone else does membership and we might as well too. We're actually referring to that first part of the word, member. It is the biblical language to describe how we each fit in the body of Christ. We use this term because the Bible does. 
Uh, we don't talk about membership like we talk about YMCA membership. We're not talking about it like a Costco membership. Church membership is a recognition that we are connected to the head, Jesus, and to other members, the body of Christ, his church. It's important for us to make sure we stop and take this thing seriously. Because if we don't, membership in general won't make sense. And it will seem, again, like some sort of earthly concept that we're just putting on top of the church. Just like the other subjects that we've dealt with so far, this membership we're talking about is not just a version of the truth. It is the truth. It's real. This thing shows that we really are going from one place, one group, into a different group, into another place that he has taken us. From God's perspective, this is reality. So consider a few passages as we, as we consider this truth, that this is really what's happening. Colossians 1.13. Paul says that, they, that believers have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. We've been transferred from one group to another in the eyes of God. We are, in ultimate reality, no longer in the domain of darkness. In the realest of life that there is, <laughs> that which cannot see, we cannot see with our natural eyes, but that exists and will for all eternity, we have been transferred from the kingdom or domain of darkness to Jesus Christ's kingdom. Consider Acts 26, 18. Paul is quoting Jesus who was explaining to him what really is going on behind the scenes in salvation. And he says this, to open their eyes, this is talking about Christians now, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Jesus is explaining that Christians have received a place among other sanctified people. Christians. They are part now of something bigger than themselves. They have now been placed into Christ's church. Peter in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 makes it abundantly clear that we now belong to God. Listen to this language. Verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Jesus, Peter, Paul, and all the other writers in the New Testament understand and teach the reality of a new people being made in Christ Jesus and that the body of Christ is made up of many members. Consider lastly here, Paul says in Ephesians 2.19, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We use the term membership because this is how the Bible speaks about Christians, that they are members of the body, members of the household of God. Although you and I cannot visually or somehow empirically tell if someone's really a Christian or if they're really part of the body of Christ, it doesn't take away from the reality that Christ has truly taken his saints and placed them in the body, this group, members together. All those who repent of their sin, trust Christ as their Savior and King, are described as those are members of the universal church. 
Now, I think it would also be fine if we really wanted to change from membership to talking about citizenship. That would be fine. That's, that's biblical in one sense. Or sojournership or to take on a pilgrim status. That would be fine. We could do that. But the, the Bible is so clear and uses so often this imagery of body and showing us that we're part of that. Plus, it also helps uh, that we should do it. But there's one other thing here. There's nothing better that shows the connection between Jesus and his saints and his saints and other saints than members of one body. This thing continually shows how a Christian connects to Christ and how that connection now is between him and other members in the body of Christ. Now, up to this point, this message is, 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 is totally fine for everybody. We're, we're good with this. We're good with universal Christian church membership. It makes sense to us. It's all there. It's a good message for us. They're good truths, and we rejoice in them. But they also have implications for our everyday life here in 2019, here in our region, here at 2180 McComas Way, Virginia Beach, Virginia, a group of people who meets together on a regular basis. It's a wonderful grace, actually, that God would give us something as important as local church membership. Why? For his own glory and for our good. This is not something that we twist people's arm into or anything like that. Again, we understand that there's usually a pathway to this, whether or not we feel we can trust each other or how this is going to go. And there's some along the way who don't think it's that important. What I'm trying to do today is to show us what the Bible says and why we say this is important to the body of Christ. And so it helps us understand a little bit better why we make much of Christian church membership. It's not just a universal church membership alone, but rather a local church membership as well. It's not just you and I trying to obey the words of Scripture with all the believers across the whole world. Again, probably something that's seemingly impossible to do. But we understand we live in a context with people who we can know and understand. And what we're trying to do is understand if they truly are believers and are committed to the body of Christ. And those that we understand are ready to do that can covenant together in church membership. When the New Testament authors write letters to the churches, they're assuming over and over again that each church has their identity as one part of the whole thing. They are Christians who live in the same area or town and who are committed to one another in love in the context that God has put them together so that they too might be able to do the one another commands that we see in the New Testament. You guys know these. We're responsible to exhort one another. We're responsible to serve one another, to encourage one another, to rebuke one another, to discipline one another, to submit to one another, to pray for one another, to confess to one another, to comfort one another, to bear with one another, and to love one another. And, and there's so many other ones. These are good things for us to do. But several of them really only make sense in a defined group of people. And there's no way that we can carefully and sincerely listen to the universal church. It's really almost impossible to do so, even in our area around us. And so we see here that even in the New Testament, these things act out far more importantly in a group that understands themselves to be a local church expression, as Caleb prayed earlier. Local church membership is a way for us to witness to the world and to one another about our true membership in the universal church. It is a way for us to clarify who we are in Christ and agree that our bond to one another does have governing principles. 
those we see in the Bible. And when I say what I mean like this by this is one way to do it, I, I, with humility can I just say that I, I, I think that we don't just toss this out as though it's optional. This is important for us to be committed to one another. It shows what the Bible talks about as love one to another, a committed love, ready to walk that with other believers. Local church membership helps define the group of people who are willingly committed to Christ and His church. But we may rightly ask, okay, why like the formality of church membership? Why not just like treat everyone who shows up on a Sunday morning um, and anyone that's just r- even roughly connected or uh, associated with Cornerstone in general, can't we just kind of treat all of them as the church? Is, isn't, isn't that fine? And this is a good question. First of all, I'd like to point out that when we talk about local church membership, it is a biblical concept. It's not one that we created. It's not one that we thought up and put on top of this at all. Again, we're taking our cues from the Scriptures. There's an overwhelming amount of information that shows that we are part of the body. And when Paul starts to deal specifically with congregations, he shows also that he understands that there's a local group gathered, committed to one another in membership of some sort. It's something that is assumed that will be helpful for the church. It's something that we ought not to be ashamed about. We're not here trying to exclude people whatsoever. We're joyful that people would gather with us on a Sunday morning. Those who are members right now and those who are not, we'd enjoy that and be together and want to walk this path as Christianity together. But we will say, we see that this is right in the Scriptures. And my goal here is to kind of show us what that looks like and to see from Scripture why we would decide that this is important for us to do. The first thing is it's a biblical concept, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But the second thing is that we recognize that formal church membership serves the church in so many helpful ways that we can't help but be thankful for it. It helps us to operate properly in a context. And we use it for the sake of making all men perfect in Christ Jesus. The reason we do this is first and foremost that we might be true to Christ and that we might do exactly what he asks us to do as his church. And as we work with one another to make all men perfect in Christ Jesus, this aids us in that. Those who are formally committed in church membership have declared that they are true Christians. They have explained their faith in Christ to the church, and they're striving to live in light of that truth. And they're willing to give themselves over and show their lives before one another for the sake of their growth in Christ. It is a voluntary offering up of oneself to Christ and his body saying, I want to join with you guys to obey him and walk circumspectly before God. So not only is it biblical, but it's a tool for the sake of growing one another in discipline and in discipleship. Those who have formally committed in church membership have been observed, they've been interviewed, they've been affirmed as Christians both by congregation and by the elders that these are true believers. Local church membership is an affirmation of true Christianity and a commitment to a specific group of people that we would act in a way that the Bible shows us that we ought to act with one another. Without membership, it becomes very difficult and almost impossible for the church to practice meaningful, consistent care and discipline for the body of Christ. Consider how we would to do that. Without that, it would be very difficult to rightly and consistently and charitably apply care and discipline. And so for these reasons, 
we encourage all Christians everywhere to join a local church if they can. We think it is right. This commitment is something that we see in the text. And a place where they can, in a context of the church, obey the one another's. But we're not naive enough to think that we get into this discussion without knowing that many people do not like the idea of local church membership. We, we understand that. We totally do. And if you be patient with us, we want to also be patient as we walk along this road together. Over the years, we've talked to several people who really haven't either experienced it before, or they just don't want to, or they've been burned in the past, and they just really aren't sure about this whole local church membership. It seems too difficult and not really sure that we want to do it. Some have been concerned about, well, how much money do I have to give to be part of this? Or um, I don't really know if I want to be that accountable with all those people, knowing all that stuff about me. There are lots of reasons that we would struggle with this process. We understand it. Let me give you a few statements, though, that we've heard, some common objections with some answers here. I think it would be helpful for us, instructive. Some have said, well, I don't know the church very well, and I really don't know if I can trust them if I don't know them very well. How do I know you're, you're not actually like a cult masquerading as a church, actually, or something else weird? Um, fair enough. <laughs> That's fair. And so we want to handle this whole process with patience and understand that it doesn't just happen that next week you jump in, full, ready to go. But rather, we understand that what you ought to do and what we ought to do together is actually get to know one another and that you can hear us and we can hear you have people into our homes, come to church services, talk to the elders, look at our statement of faith, all these different things so that you can understand and have a time period where you're comfortable saying, yeah, this is, this is not a cult, and it looks as though these are actually genuine Christian believers who love Christ and that we could, with full conscience, be in good conscience ready to join with them. So I think that's fair, and we want to make sure that each of us would actually understand what we're getting into. That's extremely important to us. Otherwise, it's just a blind jump that you have no idea who you're connecting to and why you're doing it. So we'd want you to take that time and walk through it together. How about another one? We've heard this, and it's very serious. I've been hurt by the church in the past, whether physically or socially or something like that, and there's no way I'm committing myself to church membership at all where I'd be tied to these people. If there has been sin in the past of others hurting you, can I just say, I am so sorry that that ever happened. It's wicked and terrible. From the abuses that happen in some churches physically to those that are castigating people and slamming them down, we, we, we don't want anything of that whatsoever. And the, and, the, and the Bible is not talking about that at all. Really, what we think about that is that we hate it. We don't want any of that ever to happen. We know that all of us are capable of sin and causing pain to other people. But of all people, the church, and specifically shepherds, are given to tend and love and care for one another with love. We want to love the body of Christ like Christ did. Not just speaking good words, but giving himself for it. We want to do the same thing. And sin of others, again, if I can just, just, just to, for something you think about, the sin of others should never keep us from obeying God and from knowing his benefits. We know that there have been deep, deep hurts, pains coming, even in our own congregation, from others who called themselves pastors or Christians. Uh, we as elders are diligent, you can ask any of them, we ask regularly 
to heed your own soul first, that before Christ you would love him and have personal communion with God. And out of that ever only can we actually minister to the larger body of Christ. We're not going to be perfect ever, and we know that in our body alone as it is right now. And we understand that that's a true like, uh, worry and a, and a common objection. But we would say to you, be careful, friend and brother. We understand that sometime it might take some time, but trust God and walk with other Christians. It's important. Um, third one, why do I need membership when uh, I can get all these church benefits without committing myself? Um, I have to say carefully that I think this is a very selfish perspective. You would come and join. I'm not saying you in this room, but we've heard this before. I can get it all. Why would I have to commit to anything? That's a selfish perspective, not willing to give back. That's not what Christ has done, but he loves one another and gives. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And so I would warn you, if this is your perspective, be careful of that, brother and sister, that you would not just receive and not give to one another. Also, there's a kind of a secondary answer that I want to point out. I'll say that this is what we say to everyone who asks about membership. We say, kind of like uh, other, other credit cards would say, what are the, the membership benefits? What are the benefits of membership? I can give you three right away. First of all, affirmation of your identity in Christ. It actually points out that some other Christians looked at the Scriptures and talked to you and shared together and said, are you a Christian? And after time, again, we interview, we work alongside, and we say, yes, from what you say to be true about Christ, and as you try to do this and obey Him, we affirm that you also are a believer by formal membership. The second thing, pastoral care. What I mean by pastoral care is the five of us as elders consistently bringing you before the Lord in prayer on a weekly basis because we know you, because we've met with you, because we've texted you and talked to you about your own hurts and struggles. We've had conversations. We say, we love you. I can, I can say for myself at least a little bit, but the other four guys labor in prayer for your souls. This is a benefit of, of membership. That is one that is committed to you, these men, shepherds who love you dearly. Third, and the one that most people don't like, is church discipline. Like it or not, church discipline, and you should like it, I'll explain, church discipline is a benefit. It is not comfortable, and it's painful, and it's hard for both the church and the person going through it. But this is a benefit to your soul. Church discipline rescues those who are wavering. Consider this. Church discipline keeps those who are struggling from shipwrecking their faith. Is it not one of the most loving things that another Christian could do to come alongside and say, brother, stop, repent of your sin, and love Jesus Christ? This is a benefit of church membership that you will not get without it. We will not ever discipline those who are not members of Cornerstone Bible Church. We cannot. We can't do it. And so we see that discipline is a benefit. And as harsh as it may sound, those three things I just mentioned, affirmation of your identity in Christ, pastoral care, and church discipline, are for members, those who have said, yes, we are committed to Christ and his church. Probably lastly, the objection that we get the most, though, well, it's not in the Bible, so I really don't need to do it. We get that all the time. I think what people mean when they say this is that, you know, 
There isn't a command from Jesus or Paul that says, thou shalt have local church membership. But if I can just say this, and I think that if you read through the New Testament, you're going to see that the Bible is not silent on the subject at all. It proclaims membership in all the texts we looked at this morning, obviously for the universal church, but also assumes that it is worked out on a local church regional level as well. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to kind of go through a few thoughts and passages, and then we're going to land on 1 Corinthians 5 to take a look. But just listen for a moment. In Matthew 18, you guys know this one, Jesus exhorts Christians if their brother sins against them. Remember this. You're to go to that brother and confront him and cause him to repent and ask him to, you know, to actually work out the sin. If they don't listen, you're supposed to go back with another brother, right? If they don't listen again, what does it tell us to do? To tell it to the church. Again, the idea here is that the brother is identified as a brother, as part of this group. And there is a specific person. We're not going to blast the name out in all Southampton roads of the person under discipline, but rather showing that this person is part of a defined group of Christians who know and commit to one another loving under the headship of Jesus Christ. So Matthew 18. If you look at both Matthew 16 and 18, we see something a little bit further here. Jesus gives the keys of the kingdom first to the apostles and then to the brothers, the church. Jesus is giving his authority to the church to bind and to loose those that are inside and outside the church. 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 7 is a discipline situation that comes up. And what happens in this is they have to decide on how to handle this. And Paul refers to what the majority has chosen to do. Implicitly here, we know that there is a numbered group of believers committed to Christ and to each other in that local context. And lastly, let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's look at verses 9 through 13, or just listen along is fine. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. I wrote to you, excuse me, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning, what I don't mean, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy, or the swindlers, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Now this is referring to the Lord's Supper. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. But you, what are you supposed to do? Purge the evil person from among you. Paul assumes very clearly here that everyone knows because there is some sort of definition to those that are committed and are inside the church and understands that are those, everyone else, who is outside of the church. There is no consistent and charitable, loving way at all for us to do this without formal church membership. And so you can see that the Bible does speak to church membership. The gospel makes a new people. It puts us in a different category, and we proclaim through the waters of baptism that we are identified to Christ and his church. A church that is committed to one another has found its context for what we're supposed to do as discipleship and walking along with one another. Formal commitment to the body of Christ is a real-life way of expressing and practicing what you and I say is true in our spiritual lives. 
that we've actually become part of the body of Christ. And we're not ashamed or afraid to do that, even though we may not like all the other Christians around us. We recognize who we are in Him. Local church membership is not just some sort of unnecessary add-on, or else the truth is we wouldn't do it. It's not something that we think is just great to do here. We see enough evidence in Scripture that this is where we have chosen to, to say it's important for us to practice this. It's important for us to continue to work together. It's not just a necessary add-on. It's intended to be a testimony to our membership in the universal church, and it's a useful mechanism to help us walk in obedience to our King together, one of another. And so today, I realize that there are, again, different spots in this room. Those who are members and those who are not members, those who are still somewhat new to us and those who have been around a while and still not. Again, this is not a message to push everyone out. It's actually a message to say, look what the Bible says about it and talk with us as elders. Work at this with us to see what this means for the larger body of Christ and how important it is for us to grow together. I'll say to those who have not repented of their sin and trusted Christ, if you're not a Christian, you're here this morning. If I can start with you, remember that you are not part of this church by signing on the dotted line. That will do you no good whatsoever. You must repent of your sin and trust Christ alone. Joining the body of Christ is not about signing on the dotted line. <laughs> Rather, joining the body of Christ has its root and substance in the, in the justification found in Christ alone the real, true substance. So that's for those who are not believers. For those who are believers um, but have, and have responded to their spiritual bankruptcy with repentance and faith, you've, you've become a, a Christian and you love Christ and you are not tied to a local church, may I encourage you to trust Christ in this even though we may not know how it is all going to, to work, but join in membership to show what it means and to obey Christ in this way and all the one another's and receive true love and pastoral care and church discipline in a context that does love you, we would encourage you to do that and welcome you into that process. And lastly, for those of us who are believers and do know Christ and are members, either at, at Cornerstone Bible Church or there may be other people here who are visiting and maybe you're a member somewhere else, this is not the end for you. It's not like, okay, I made it in. This is an ugly, hard sermon to listen to, but I'm in church membership, so I'm fine. Church membership is not the end. Church's membership here that we're talking about today is explaining what's going on around us, the reality that we live in. Brothers and sisters, we got lots to do according to the word. We heard that even from the first words that Dan read to us from the first couple of verses in, in chapter 12 of Romans. This is not some, as you can tell, ritzy club to be proud of. This is not some club that um, we've entered because we're better than everyone else. Far from it. This is a place where we find ourselves properly submitting to Jesus and to one another for the sake of being built up in Christ to be complete in Jesus. And so, pursue one another. Don't let your membership be an end in and of itself at all. It's a reminder that we are one in Christ. And this thought us to help us understand what it means to obey the one another commands in this context. So, we do this with one motivation. Again, not for the things that we can see, but if you remember what John said, the only reason that we ever know how to love is because he first loved us. And so our motivation comes from God, our creator and redeemer. 
we have been gloriously saved and placed into the kingdom of his beloved son. So let us find hope and strength and love in this king and live as his subjects with joy in the church. Let's pray together. God, in your grace, you have given us life, new life in Christ. We do not deserve it. We do not deserve to be members of the body. And yet, in your love, you have transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your beloved Son, Jesus. We say thank you. We ask that we would live properly before you and bring honor to your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We look forward to the day that we will see you, but Lord, you have given us this task in the context that we are, and we ask that we would obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For further sermons and more information on Cornerstone Bible Church, please visit cbcvirginia.com.